Merry Christmas. Wow, it's great to see you all here. I welcome you if you're visiting with us. We're especially glad to have you uh, joining the Solid Rock family as we celebrate Christmas. Uh, if you're joining us online, honored to have you as well. Uh, we are here to celebrate the birth of our Savior together and all that that means for us. Um, as a church, we've been reminding ourselves this month of all that we have in Christ uh, to rejoice, all the reasons we have to rejoice, despite how difficult this year has been. Um, we have more than enough reasons to rejoice. Uh, this gathering for Christmas Eve, we're going to be focusing on the perfect peace of Christ. Now, there are a couple different ways to think about the birth of Jesus. One way to think about the birth of Jesus is to see his birth as a fulfillment of God's promises. And so if we think about that, the promise that led to the birth of Jesus really goes back almost as far back as humanity itself. It's actually in the garden where we first see the hints of this promise of Christmas, where God says to Eve that one day one of her descendants, a long way off, would be born into the world to do what? To trample the head of the serpent. This promise is reiterated again and again from generation to generation for hundreds, thousands of years. The people of God waited for this promise to be fulfilled. So we think about that, that each generation would carry this promise forward and hand it on to the next generation. What happened is that over time, the people of God began to lose hope. And they began to doubt that God would ever fulfill his promise that he made to Eve, that he made to Abraham, that he made to David, and that he made to the people of God. See, that's our tendency as well, isn't it? Now, 2,000 years after the birth of Christ, that we would begin to lose focus on the actual essence and promise of Christmas itself. And so we're going to look at this together. The Gospel of Luke uh, captures the events of the, the, the birth of Christ, the first Christmas. And, and in this uh, capturing of the events, we find this promise of this one who would be born to bring us peace. In Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8, we read that in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So this is the announcement of the, the first Christmas, an announcement made by angels. This announcement of good news that will bring great joy to the people of God. The announcement is that the Messiah has been born. The Savior is here. The Son of God has come to earth. And with him will come what? Peace. This one who has been born to bring peace on earth. We think about the concept of peace and a lot of things come to mind. If we think about peace in the world, we think about nations actually getting along. We think about the absence of terrorism, the absence of oppression, the absence of tyranny, the, the world at peace. We think about peace in our nation. We think about 
people actually agreeing that we aren't divided into factions and political parties, but we actually come together as one nation under God. And think about peace in our home where everybody's getting along. For me, it's my kids are obedient and quiet and they're not arguing with one another and my wife and I are getting along and everything is going as planned. Peace. What's being promised here through this birth of Christ is that peace would come to earth, but not the kind of peace that you and I would expect. The prophet Isaiah, an ancient prophecy about this coming Messiah, this one who would be born to bring peace, describes the peace in a specific way. Listen to this. This is Isaiah 9, verse 6. For to us a child is born, and to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. So first of all, we begin to realize that the peace that God brings to us isn't a gift apart from himself, but it's Christ himself. He is the Prince of Peace. So peace is not a a gift that that Jesus wraps up in a package like we wrap up gifts and places here on the earth that we could come unwrap it and have it. What Isaiah is saying is actually this son of God would be born into the world and he himself would be our peace. That if we have him, we will have peace. But did you hear the description of his peace? It's a peace that has no end. Now, that's different from the concepts of peace that we just talked about, isn't it? Because even if we could achieve peace around the globe in one moment, we know what? We would wake up the next day to find turmoil again. Someone else would rise into power. Another tyrant leader would try to take over and oppress a people. Terrorism would happen somewhere, and in a moment, it's gone. If we could think about peace for our nation to come together as one nation, under God, a people united in one moment. We know we'd wake up the next day to find what? Division again. Rioting in the streets, polarization, people not agreeing, separating themselves from one another. If we could, maybe for just a moment, think about peace in our home. Everybody getting along. Maybe it's something you're hoping for this Christmas. That family would come together in one place at one time and there'd be no arguing, no disagreeing, but we would just have this sense of peace. But those concepts of peace are pretty fragile, aren't they? Because in a moment, it's gone. But Isaiah says that the peace that will come with the birth of the Savior is a peace that has no end. It's not a peace that's here today and gone tomorrow. It's not a peace that can be snuffed out in a moment. It's a peace that has no end. And so the angels are announcing at the birth of Christ this one who would bring this peace that is good news that will cause what? Great joy. And even the angels themselves are rejoicing at the birth of the Savior who would bring this peace to earth. In one of the Apostle Paul's letters uh, to the Philippians, he describes this peace in a really descriptive way. Listen to what he says in Philippians 4 He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And do not be anxious about anything, 
But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, he's going to go on to describe the peace that comes with knowing Christ. But before he does that, he actually gives us some instructions. And so not only is the Apostle Paul going to describe the peace that comes with Christ, he's going to describe for us the means by which we can have it. That's good news. How can I have this kind of peace, this peace that is not fragile, this peace that doesn't come to an end? We begin with the words rejoice. Now, here's what's interesting. The words rejoice here twice are actually commanded of God's people. Now, that's different from how I tend to think about rejoicing, right? I tend to think of rejoicing as a reaction to something that happens. Something good happens and I rejoice. Something good happens and I'm filled with joy. Something goes the way I want it to to go and I'm happy and I rejoice. But Paul doesn't say, hey, church, when things go your way, rejoice. He says what? Rejoice. Rejoice in whom? In the Lord. Find your rejoicing in Christ himself. Rejoice in the Lord. When? Always. Without ceasing. Just like this peace that has no end, let your rejoicing be always. And so we're commanded as God's people to rejoice. But not only that, he commands us to pray a specific way. If you saw this in verse 6, he says, do not be anxious about anything. That's the opposite of peace, right? Anxiety, anxiousness. So don't be anxious about anything. Okay, great. How can I not be anxious about anything? He tells us. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So he doesn't just say, hey, you want to not be anxious? Be a person who prays. He says, no, 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 church. There's a specific way you should pray if you're in Christ. And what is that way? With thankful hearts. I want you to just think back on your prayers lately, maybe your prayers over the year. And I wonder how many of our prayers were rooted in thankfulness versus prayers rooted in maybe anxiety or frustration or desperation. And Paul says this, church, not only should you rejoice always, when you pray, you should pray with thankful hearts. And then he tells tells us in verse seven what that leads to. It leads to this peace of God, not the peace of the world, Not the kind of peace we would go after as a nation or even in our own home, but the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. That's a a real fancy phrase to describe the peace of God as a peace that doesn't make sense to us. It's a peace that surpasses, goes beyond understanding. And this peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's the good news the angels were rejoicing in. That's the announcement of the birth of Christ, that he would bring this kind of peace to earth, a peace that's rooted in him, who he is, and that has no end, a peace that's bigger than our circumstances and doesn't make sense. Now, the New Testament, over and over again, in many different places, describes this peace. In Ephesians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul summarized it in a real concise kind of way, and I I appreciate the way that that Paul describes the peace here. Because we would ask the question now, who is this peace for? Is it between you and me that we would have peace? Is it between us and God that we would have peace? What is this peace? 
that Paul is describing to us. He says in verse 13 of Ephesians 2, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now think about that. I don't know if you've ever felt far off from God. Maybe you walked into church tonight feeling that way, far off, like God is at a distance, God is far away. Maybe you're even hoping that by coming to a Christmas Eve service, you might experience the nearness of God, that he might get, you might get close to him. You might leave here feeling closer to God than when you first arrived. This idea of being far off from God really describes all of us at one point in time. At one point, we were all far off from God, and it isn't that you and I made the long journey to get close to God. Christmas is the announcement that God comes near to us, that God draws near to us. And so the nearness of God isn't that you've came to church, it's that by coming to church, you've been reminded of the nearness of God that is yours in Christ Jesus. If you have him, you have the nearness of God. If you have him, you have the peace of God. Paul goes on in Ephesians 2, and he says this about the peace we have. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Here's what that means. Paul is saying, as human beings, there is ample reason for you and I to not get along for you to offend me, for me to hurt your feelings, just on a personal level, let alone in a, in a global way, that there's more than enough reason for us to not have peace as human beings here on earth. We are offensive people, right? Even in our, our selfishness, we offend one another. And what Paul is reminding us of is that when Christ went to the cross, he killed all of the reasons for our hostility, so part of this package of peace that we have in Christ is that there's no longer hostility between you and I. The hostility has been put to death at the cross. But not only that, look at what he says in verse 16, that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. So really, the idea of peace is twofold. It's a peace between you and I, and it's also a peace between us and God. That before, right before we came to Christ, we were enemies of God. We were hostile towards God. That farness that we were experiencing from God was because of us, not because of him. And let me illustrate it this way, in a way that gets me excited. So it's not that you and I have to lock arms and, and, and hum a song about peace and harmony and we'll have peace, but here's what happens. Think of the cross and think about your personal relationship with Christ. As Christ draws you near to himself through the cross, at the same time, he's drawing others near to himself through the cross. Look at what happens. We're drawn near to one another. And you can't have one without the other. This peace that has come through Christ has brought us peace with God and in doing so has brought us peace with one another. And all the reasons we have to not get along have been put to death. All of our hostility has been crucified on the cross. And that's where our peace comes from. This peace that surpasses understanding, this peace that has no end. I don't know about you, but I have needed this peace more this year than any year in my life. Without exaggerating the point, 
the last 12 months of my life, I have experienced more anxiety than I would say the previous life experience altogether, certainly more than any other year. Just personally, it got to a point about midsummer where the, 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 the anxiety was beginning to overwhelm me to the point of like anxiety attacks, panic attacks, uncontrollable anxiety. And that's the opposite of peace, right? That's why Paul said, don't be anxious about anything. Instead, have the peace of Christ. And the problem wasn't that, that Christ wasn't providing peace for me. The problem was, is that I was taking the weight of the world on my own shoulders. I felt like it was mine to rescue, my problem to solve. It was up to me to make sure that my family had what they needed. And God reminded me, my shoulders are way too narrow and way too fragile to bear the burden of the weight of the world. And that's why the prophet Isaiah, we just read in chapter 9, says, for, us to, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be where? Upon his shoulders. See, Christ has come into the world to bring us peace, to take the burden onto his shoulders, to take our hostility to the cross and put it to death, and to draw near to us through his blood. And so we are reconciled not only to God, but to one another. And listen, this peace, this peace is found in the person of Christ. It's not found outside of him. It's not a gift he's gonna leave under your tree tonight. You can have it by having him. So first of all, Christ's follower, I just wonder, how has the peace been in your heart lately? The peace is directly related to your relationship with him. No peace would inadvertently mean what? That we have not been walking with Christ. So I just wanna encourage you to think about that. And if you're here this afternoon, this evening, and you don't have a personal relationship with Christ, the greatest gift we could offer you is the gift of salvation that comes through faith. And with that comes a relationship with Christ, a nearness with Christ, and with that comes what? This peace that has no end. This peace that surpasses understanding. And that's the gift we want you to have this Christmas, the peace of Christ. Christmas is the celebration of the Son of God, who came near to bring us peace. A peace that's different from the worldly concepts of peace. Not a peace that comes and goes based on our circumstances, but the peace of Jesus that doesn't fade or diminish. This peace of Jesus surpasses our understanding because it's not rooted in us, it's not rooted in our circumstances, it's rooted in him, solely in him. And so Christmas is the celebration of the Son of God who came near to bring us the peace that transcends our anxieties. It's bigger than our anxieties, bigger than our circumstances. It's the peace that has no end. And that's what Christmas is about. So what I wanna do now is I wanna pray for you. I wanna pray that you would have and you would know that peace this Christmas. But I'm telling you, the only way you're gonna have it is to know him, to have a relationship with Christ. And so that is the worship team comes forward to lead us in singing. I'm gonna pray over us now. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we rejoice with the angels this evening for all that we have in Christ, our Savior who was born to us on Christmas morning. And so Father, we've gathered here not only to celebrate that, but to experience the nearness that comes with knowing Christ. Thank you for drawing near to us. So Father, I pray for any person here who is not walking in this perfect peace of Christ, 
that before they leave here today, they would experience that. And Father, you would draw near now, even as I pray, as we stand to sing, we pray that your Holy Spirit would, would, would fill this room and fill our hearts with joy. And Father, if there's any person here who does not know you personally, we pray in faith right now that, God, that you would save that person. Listen, if that's you, I, I'm just going to encourage you to, even right now as we get ready to sing, that you would take, a, take some time to pray yourself. Maybe for the first time, ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. That you would make Christmas about him this year, not just in your home, but in your own heart. Now, God, as we stand to sing, we do so to rejoice. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.